on this Sunday, the last Sunday in October, we set the worship service aside to focus on the Reformation. We are heirs of the 16th century Protestant Reformation as we consider the, the great movement that God brought about in that day that is still impacting us in our day and impacting our church. He is gracious and he is merciful and his work continues to reform his church. May we ever be reformed and always reforming to the scriptures and uh, to Christ. So let us be grateful and let us praise the Lord as the psalmist calls us in Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us pray. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Your kingdom is everlasting to everlasting, and we are members of your kingdom according to your word alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and all for your glory alone. We praise you and thank you for saving us and gathering us into your kingdom. Bless us with your grace that we may praise and adore you, our loving Heavenly Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You'll find on page two the, the hymn, Let Your Kingdom Come. Would you please join me in standing as we lift up this song to one another and to the Lord.
Please be seated. As you can see in your bulletin, we're going to have a time of pastoral prayer, and then right after that, we're going to go into a time of corporate confession, and then right after that, we're going to go into a time of uh, praying the Lord's Prayer together. So just follow through as we go. Um, might get a little touchy there, but let us together go to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, we come this morning confessing your majesty and your glory and your splendor this morning. You are a good and gracious father. You are good to us, your children. You are good to all your creatures, and we give you praise. And with the psalmist, God, we also declare that our hearts and our flesh do fail, but that you indeed are the strength of our hearts and the portion forever. And so, God, we give you praise for your compassion, for your great mercy, and your great love towards us. Sinners who were once children of wrath, deserving your judgment, and yet now we are objects of your grace and your affection that you have so abundantly poured out on us in Christ. God, we give you thanks and we give you praise. And God, we also confess as we come this morning that we continue to at times behave like we once were. That we are guilty often of sin and rebellion in general. But God, we are also guilty of so many other things. Of failure to acknowledge your majesty and your glory. Failure to love you as you so rightly are due. And failure to love one another. And God, for these sins and many more, we confess. We ask your forgiveness. We plead for your mercy. We request your cleansing. And God, we know as we come this morning that we do indeed have those promises for us in Christ. That he is, as your word says, the one mediator between Christ and man who has given himself as a ransom for our sin. We thank you, Jesus, for coming, for taking on flesh, for being that perfect sacrifice for us. We worship you. Would you help us to imitate Christ more and more each day? individually in our families here as a church? Would you continually free us more and more from the power and the influence of sin and the flesh by your Spirit's work in and through us? And God, we also know that we come, as we come, we have the great privilege of bringing before you our needs and our requests. For the needs of the re and requests of the areas where we live, 
of this creation that you have placed us in. And so, God, we come before you and we pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us, as your word rightly calls us to do so. God, we pray for our president, we pray for Congress, for the Supreme Court, for our local governors and representatives. God, we ask that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they make decisions, as they govern here. Would you bend the hearts of all who rule to do your will, to love righteousness, to love justice and mercy. And we God, we pray the same for us here, for those in positions of leadership here, for our elders and deacons, that we as well would have allow our wills to be bent to your will by your spirit. And God, we pray for the work of your church here in our nation and in distant lands. God, we pray specifically for your church in places where it is facing intense suffering and persecution and hardship and strife. God, in the midst of these horrible situations, the news coming out is that your gospel is still going forward. It is still reaching the nations, and for that we give you praise. And we ask, as we just sang, that your kingdom would indeed come, that you would continue to advance your kingdom, that the gospel would go forth. And we, God, we pray for the missionaries that we specifically support here, that you would bless them and their efforts, that you would strengthen them, that you would provide for all the needs that they have that they would continue to faithfully serve you and serve your kingdom. And God, we pray for the same in our denomination and for her agencies, that we would be faithful. God, that we would stand on the truth of your word, that we would hold fast to what you declare is good and right and true. God, may we be faithful. By your spirit's leading, may we be true. And God, as we just sang, we also pray that you would be delighted to continue to draw people to yourself. God, that you would indeed save sinners. Save sinners like us. God, we pray for the unsaved in our midst, specifically for family members. Of those who have either wandered from the faith or were never in the faith. God, would you be delighted by your spirit's work to draw them to yourself. that you would break them of their sin and their rebellion and that they would come and confess and profess faith in Christ. And God, we pray for the salvation of those who are in places of great suffering, that the good news of the gospel, that the freedom of the gospel, the forgiveness that's found in Christ would go to these lands and that sinners would come. God, we pray for ourselves, for our own sanctification as individuals and as a church. In light of last week, your word in 1 Peter, God, we do pray that we would be sober-minded, we would be self-controlled so that we can pray. God, that we would be faithful to love one another with fervent love. That we would show hospitality and faithful service to each other as your people. God, would you unite us in Christ by your spirit amidst so many things that would seek to divide, that would seek to tear us under. God, may we be drawn closer and closer by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit. Would you bring us unity? And then, God, we also pray that you would be meeting our needs here in this place. We acknowledge that you are the great physician, that you are the God of all comfort. And so we ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort. God, we specifically think of Bev and Renee and Tim and Greg and family. With the homegoing of Gene, God, we thank you that he is healed. But God, we pray that you would bring comfort to those who are still here. That the truth of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection, 
would bring hope in times of sadness and mourning. God, we pray for the Van Gore family. We thank you for the healing that has taken place in both Felicia and Sawyer. And we pray that that would continue, that there would be full healing and restoration. Give them strength. Give them healing as well. And God, we know there are others who are suffering. God, we ask that you would place your healing touch upon them, that you would draw near to them and bring them comfort. And God, for those in our midst who specifically are unable to gather here this morning because of health concerns, because of just ongoing inability to come and to be with your people, we pray that you would draw near to them by your spirit, that even them being a part of the worship service from afar would be a great source of comfort and joy to them this morning. God, be with our worship. May we glorify you in all things, and we thank you that you are the God who hears our prayers. And so now, God, we come acknowledging together that we are sinners. And so we confess this prayer together, pleading for your mercy, we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedom you have given us through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. But we confess today that we often live like slaves. Instead of living like you delight in us, we avoid you in shame and guilt instead of receiving your favor as a gift. We try to earn it with our efforts. Instead of accepting your freedom, we prefer our chains. Instead of pursuing your purposes, we cling to our short-sighted agendas. Forgive us, embrace us, cleanse us, Heal us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let us pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And having confessed our sins together, hear these words of assurance from the, from the Apostle John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God is faithful to forgive us in Christ, so let us together stand and sing of his faithfulness by singing hymn 32, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Please stand.
join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we praise you for how you have carried your church through history, through your Holy Spirit, that we might know your truth, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for the provision of leaders through church history to be used to continue us on that path. Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to bless us with leaders here at Covenant. Father, we thank you for your provision for this church, for your provision for your people at this church. Father, we pray that you would help us to be stewards of what you alone own and that we would honor and glorify you through our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, and that you would be glorified by their use to further your kingdom here at Covenant in Little Rock and throughout the world. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As Tim mentioned earlier, it is the last Sunday in October, and every year we use this Sunday to reflect on the 16th century Protestant Reformation. It's the question of why would we observe the Reformation? And I think the motto of the Rep Reformation provides a helpful reason where it says, we are reforms and are always to be reforming to the word of God. The spark that reformed the true church more and more to the scriptures back in the 16th century continues even to this day. Our church and our denomination, as Tim mentioned earlier, are heirs to this great movement where God worked through saints such as John Huss and Martin Luther, John Calvin and John Knox, just to name a few. We seek as a church to always be reformed and to be transformed by the word of God, even as we stand firmly on it and continue to preach and teach boldly from the truth. And at the Diet of Worms in 1521, Martin Luther stood firm on the truth of God's word. The Holy Roman Empire at that time found his doctrinal teaching of scripture to be heretical. They sought to force him to recant and to forsake the truth of God's word. And this is what he said. He responded in this way, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason... For I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And like Luther, we are here this morning bound to the word of God. Understood simply and rightly, the Reformation was a rediscovery of the gospel message of the Bible. Or as Paul would write in, first, in Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that message of salvation, the message of God's power, is summarized in what we call the five solas of the Reformation. These assert the salvation or sinners being brought into a right relationship with God is, according to the scriptures alone, in Christ alone, 
by grace alone, through faith alone, all for the glory of God alone. And so out of a commitment to the scriptures then flowed a right understanding of these things, of Christ, of grace, of faith, and even of God's glory. And so we as a church then are called to even guard these as the good deposit that has been entrusted to us, to borrow the language of Paul to Timothy. Even to delight in these truths, to cherish them as those that are explicitly taught in the word of God. And so this morning through our service, we're going to consider the Protestant Reformation by looking at each one of these five solas of the Reformation. And we pray that they will continue to encourage us to be continually and ever reforming as a church to the scriptures. Scripture reading this morning, Psalm 119, 89 through 112, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and finally 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have, you have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been on my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen the limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteousness or your righteous rules I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And then 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1.20, know this first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from them, or from God, as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. What serves as man's authority? The list of possible answers is fairly long. Cultural norms, maybe a spiritual experience, man-centered philosophies, or even religious traditions. We could add to it the dominant source in our day, which is self. Personal feelings, personal desires are supreme. They cannot and indeed must never be questioned. And even within Christendom, the authority of the Bible as the objective revelation, the absolute truth, stands questioned. Some take the Bible merely as a good or even an inspirational book. It helps you to find your best you and to be, then, your best you. In that light, then, Jesus serves simply as a model for us to follow, or only a model for us to follow. Some, on the other hand, embrace neo-orthodoxy or where revelation is subjective and truth is self-determined according to your experience. Our conviction, like the reformers, is that none of these are authoritative, but that God's word, the scriptures, are authoritative. The word of God is objective revelation. It is transcendent. It is eternal truth. It does not change. It is unmovable. As Kevin just read, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. The Bible is inerrant. It is without error. It is infallible. It is unable to error. In those original autographs, all 66 books are inspired by God. As Paul declared, and we just heard, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We must hold fast uncompromisingly to the scriptures as our sole authority for faith and practice. John Huss is known as the Czech reformer, He was born in 1385, and he was introduced to the writings of John Wycliffe while he served as rector and preacher at Bethlehem Chapel in Prague. Wycliffe, for those who know, sought to reform the church's doctrine by translating the Bible into English so that all could read it. And Huss took up Wycliffe's cause. And he serves as a profound example of fidelity to the Bible as the sole authority for faith and practice. For in 1412, Huss wrote these words while he sat in prison. He says, I have said that I would not, for a chapel of gold, recede from the truth. I know that the truth stands and is mighty forever and abides eternally, with whom there is no respect of persons. For those unfamiliar, Huss was condemned as a heretic and burned at the stake on July 6th. 1415. But prior to his execution, he was asked one last time if he would recant. 
And he replied, God is my witness that the evidence against me is false. I have never thought nor preached except with one intention of winning men, if possible, from their sins. In the truth of the gospel, I have written, taught, and preached. Today, I will gladly die. May we stand as boldly on the eternal truth of God's word. May it be, as the psalmist says, the joy of our hearts. May it be our delight. May our intention even be to win men always through speaking and teaching and proclaiming this truth. Let us live according to the scriptures alone. Our first hymn that we're going to sing is Martin Luther's famous, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther, that German reformer, believed that Christ was found in scripture alone, not through some mystical experience or even through the church's tradition. For as we're going to sing, his line says, For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Let us then stand and together sing hymn 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.
you're saved in Christ alone. Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Bible teaches that sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone and in Christ alone. So we have a question. Is Christ sufficient for the salvation of sinners? The medieval Roman Catholic Church taught one was justified by believing in Christ and by doing good works. And this was the very problem that the Apostle Paul addressed in the letter to the Galatian Christians. The Judaizers taught a false gospel that demanded both faith in Christ and circumcision and other works of the Mosaic Law. And Paul declared very clearly that such is no gospel at all. If anything is added to Christ, it is not salvation in Christ alone and on the merits of his work alone, but it is salvation based on human 
performance. Paul states this in the letter to the Galatians, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Chapter 2 and verse 16 of Galatians. And then from Galatians also, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible declares that man is a sinner in need of a Savior, and the only Savior is Jesus Christ plus nothing else. Hebrews 9.15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 7.25, consequently he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, but Christ is all and in all. The reformer John Calvin wrote this in light of what we just read from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, quote, If we seek salvation, we are taught by the name of Jesus that it is in him. If we seek redemption, it will be found in his sufferings, absolution in his condemnation, remission of the curse in his cross, satisfaction in his sacrifice, purification in his blood, newness of life and immortality in his resurrection, protection, security, abundance, and enjoyment in the judicial authority committed to him. Christ is the beginning, middle, and end. Nothing is or can be found apart from him. Let us draw from his treasury and from no other source, end quote. Let us live then, according to the scriptures alone, and on and in the merits of Christ alone. One of the hymns that we have that so beautifully portrays the meritorious work of Christ for our salvation is a new hymn and a beloved hymn of the church in Christ alone would you please stand as we sing
seated. Just praise God Almighty uh, for the theme of that song. Not by our deeds, but by grace alone. Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money 
for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me all and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. But it is a gift from God, not the results of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise be to God. The Bible teaches that sinners are saved according to scriptures alone, in Christ alone, and now third, by grace alone. Who needs grace? If you were listening to what was just read in Ephesians chapter 2, the answer is obvious. All of us, all of those who were dead in the trespasses and sins, and who were by nature children of wrath. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland writes, What water is to fish, inordinate ugliness of desire was to us. We inhaled rejection of God and we exhaled self-destruction and well-deserved judgment. Given this condition of spiritual death, it is impossible to fathom any means by which sinners can pay their way back to God or pay back the debt that we are owed to him. No level of morality or quantity of good works can even begin to make up that difference. There is nothing we can do. Enter in the marvelous grace of God. Jerry Bridges defines grace in a helpful way when he says that grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. God's grace is ultimately the kindness of our God, which Thomas Goodwin described as all sweetness, 
all candidness, all friendliness, and all heartiness, and all goodness, and with God's whole heart. The prophet Isaiah, as we just heard, defines grace by invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Grace means that we come with nothing and we find all that we need with our God. It is finding that good that we so desperately long for. It is finding that satisfaction that our hearts crave day in and day out. It is finding that life that we need, that salvation that we cannot now or ever hope to achieve in our own strength. But such grace is not simply once and done. The truth of the matter is we are saved by grace, we are being saved by grace, and we will be saved by grace. Our relationship with God continues to be all of grace. It is not now suddenly transformed into a relationship based on performance. But how often do we live as though it were? How often do we come, do we answer his invitation, but we come with money? We come with merit and saying, here, God, I am now worthy, forgetting that it is all of grace. The basis of our, of our relationship with God remains, as Jerry Bridges would later write, the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own performance. And so the challenge for us as those who claim grace alone is to live daily in the infinite merit of Jesus Christ. Consider the words of the reformer John Calvin as recorded on his deathbed. When he said, I give thanks to God who had mercy on me. I embrace the mercy that he has exercised towards me through Jesus Christ, atoning for my sins with the merits of his death and passion that in this way he might satisfy for all my offenses and faults and blot them from his remembrance. I trust to no other security for my salvation than this alone, that as God is the father of mercy, so he will show himself such fa a father to me who acknowledge myself to be a miserable sinner. Grace and mercy permeated Calvin's teachings, his life, his words to the very end. May the wonderful grace of Jesus so permeate every sphere of our own lives. May it humble us. May it free us from the cycle of performance. And may it lead us to a true delight in the God of all grace. Let us resolve to live according to the scriptures alone, in the merits of Christ alone, and by his marvelous grace alone. The grace of God is truly greater than all of our sin. So let us stand and sing of the mercy and the grace of God as confessed in the hymn, His Mercy is More. Please stand. Red. 
Good way as we constantly run. What Father so tender is calling us down. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Strong. Riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood with the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger. His through faith alone. Genesis 15, 6. And he believed, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. In Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his, great, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
And finally, Galatians 3.20. Now we have an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Amen and amen. Thus far, we have considered the Bible's teaching that sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, and now through faith alone, the fourth sola. Luther, the great reformer, called faith the chief article on which the church stands or falls. So what is faith? According to Paul, it's a gift. It's a grace. And further, it's an instrument. It is a means. So how is one justified? How does one receive the merits of Christ? The answer is through the instrumentality of faith. The Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner's heart, grants the twin graces of repentance and faith. In repentance, we see our sin and turn from it. In faith, we turn from our sin and turn to Christ. God then justifies through that gift of faith. The term by faith is used throughout the New Testament. And so how are we to understand by faith? The Bible never uses by faith in the sense of it being because of faith. Because I believe Jesus saves me. That is not used in the Bible. What is used is grammar that clearly points to the fact that faith is a means or an instrument through which God grants and gives the merits of Christ. Thus, faith is an instrument of justification. It is through faith, through that instrument of faith, that one is justified. Our shorter catechism in question number 33 is helpful. The question is asked, what is justification? And the answer is, it is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith, through faith, through the instrument of faith alone. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3 and verses 14 through 21 is another example of how by faith is understood as faith being an instrument through which we receive all that God has for us. And in that prayer, Paul prays that the Ephesian believers would be strengthened in their inner person by the Holy Spirit working through faith. 
Further in Galatians, Paul points this out in chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Martin Luther, that reformer, that former Augustinian monk, back before his conversion, was troubled with the righteousness of God. He understood that only a perfect righteousness would do that would make him acceptable before God. And he wrote late in his life, looking back at his pre-conversion days as a monk, he said, I quote, I kept the rule, meaning the rules associated with being a monk. I kept the rules so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got into heaven by his sheer monkery, it was I. That's one of my favorite quotes in church history, sheer monkery. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other works, end quote. Yet, Luther had an overwhelming sense that he fell so very, very short of a perfect righteousness. At one point, he said, I do not love God, I hate him. Luther knew that he could never do enough to produce a perfect, personal righteousness. Luther was assigned the chair of biblical studies at Wittenberg University. In 1515, while meditating on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he had an evangelical awakening, conversion experience. Paul wrote in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther remarked, quote, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy of God, justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise, end quote. Luther discovered the biblical doctrine of justification by grace through faith. He, he professed, quote, Thee, O Christ, have I known. Thee have I loved. Thee have I taught. Thee have I trusted. End quote. Let us live according to the scriptures alone. In Christ alone. By grace alone. And through faith alone. As you remain seated, please turn in your hymnals or into, in your bulletin to the hymn, My Faith Has Found 
a resting place, hymn number 468. Jesus died, and that he died for me. <clears throat> the glory of God alone. Psalm 24 in its entirety. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and, all, and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. Then Romans eleven thirty six. For, him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. We've arrived at the final sola of the Reformation. Sinners are saved according to the scriptures alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and now for the glory of God alone. You'll find in your bulletin an insert, and the insert highlights this fifth sola, the glory of God. As we hear various perspectives about God's salvation in our culture, or sadly even in some churches, if man gets too much credit, it's probably wrong. God uh, gets all the credit. He's the one who saves sinners. All that he has ordained in saving sinners and in the establishment of his church is for one grand purpose, and that is for his glory. The great composer J.S. Bach said this, quote, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where there is not, where this is not remembered, there is not, there is no real music, but a devilish hubbub, end quote. Bach began his compositions with an inscription, JJ, Jesus Juva, meaning Jesus help me. And he ended his music with an inscription, SDG, Soli Dei Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Bach began his work in faith seeking Jesus for help, and he completed his work with one purpose in mind, that his work might glorify God. And may this characterize our lives as we live out the principles of these five solas, these biblical principles that we find in the Reformation and we find in our day today, as we seek to be reformed and always reforming to the word of God, may we begin our day, Jesus help me, may we end our day, soli deo gloria. Let us live according to the scriptures alone. Let me just say this. The church must always be reforming. And if we want the church to be reformed today, 
we must live as individual believers and as a church according to the scriptures alone. Do you believe that? We must live in Christ alone. Do you believe that? We must live according to grace alone. Do you believe that? We must live according to faith alone. Do we believe that? And do you believe, do I believe, that we must live for the glory of God alone? May God have mercy on us, and may God enliven us to be reformed and to keep on being reformed to his word. Would you please stand with me and turn in your bulletin uh, to that Reformation hymn that was written by a former pastor here in Little Rock as we conclude our service today with the Reformation hymn. Please stand. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace. Amen.